Greetings, my friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Today, we are resuming our study in the Gospel according to Matthew. We're ready for chapter 19 this morning. Chapter 19 deals with marriage. Uh, the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus up in some things, so they're asking him questions about divorce. And so we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. I'm going to explain to you what I think Jesus is getting at. Um, we're also going to look at Corinthians chapter 7 because the Apostle Paul actually has a lot to say on the subject. Uh, specifically about marriage and his opinion on whether or not you should even get married. And then we have the parable of the rich young ruler, which I think often gets misunderstood. And so I'm going to share with you my thoughts on uh, what I think is happening in this conversation. And uh, you can take it as you will. You can agree or disagree. Uh, but I wanted to share with you kind of my perspective of that. So that is what is on the agenda this morning. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, dealing with the issue of marriage, divorce, and then, of course, the parable, or not the parable, it's an actual real story, Jesus dealing with the rich young ruler. Just a reminder, this broadcast is 100% listener supported, uh, and you can do that by going to scriptureandprophecy.com or using the links in the description below if you're watching on YouTube. And I just want to say thank you for your prayers, for your support, and just helping me make this happen for over a decade now. And it's been my great privilege and my great delight to do so. Uh, but I certainly couldn't have done it without all of you. So thank you for providing not only me the opportunity to do this, but the people around the world who get to listen to God's word. All right, let's dig in. The gospel According to Matthew chapter 19, open up your hearts and let's see what the Word of God has to say for us this morning. Matthew chapter 19, verse 1, King James Bible. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered, and he said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife? and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh, what therefore God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. So please note, Jesus is healing some people along the Jordan. The Pharisees come and they're like, all right, we got a good one to trap Jesus with now. And they say, hey, are we, are we allowed to get a divorce for every cause? And Jesus says, in the beginning, it was God's design 
male and female, they would leave their parents, cleave to one another, become one flesh, and it is God's design and desire that that would not be split, that that would not be uh, separated. It's a, it's a forever bond in God's eyes. That's what Jesus is getting at. So then they're going to bring up the law, because this is the trap they think they've got him in. Verse 7, And they say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and put her away? Verse 8, And he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoeth marry her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So please note, Jesus says, Moses suffered you to be able to get a divorce and permitted it because of the hardness of your hearts, but not because that was the original intent of marriage, of the institution of marriage, which was an institution created by God. However, there is one exception, Jesus says. So he says, if you get a divorce, you commit adultery except under the one circumstance, which is sexual immorality, fornication. So if your spouse is running around on you, having an affair, sleeping with other people, under that circumstance, God permits you to get a divorce. And that can go, you know, that conversation can go deeper and deeper. You think about when, God divorced Israel, right? Because they were an adulterous nation. It's that mindset. But you can't get divorced because your wife annoys you or your husband annoys you. <laughs> you know, marriage, obviously, in the United States and in the Western world has become a corrupt institution. And we don't have the eight hours it would take to just break down all the problems with marriage here just in the western world and I'm not even talking about secular marriage I'm talking about within Christian marriages the roles aren't set up correctly um, all kinds of problems and I'm not going to dig into all of that uh, aside to say that I think men and women who believe in God who are Christians if you will they don't go into marriage with the intent of doing it as the Bible designs. They go into it with the cultural background that we have, and they think that's how a wife is to behave. They think that is how a husband is to behave. And there's just, it's a mess. It's a mess, and it's no wonder that the divorce rate amongst Christians is, the, is no different than it is amongst secular people which is half of, and I bet you that number's higher. These are old numbers. I bet you it's more than half get divorced now. So with the, with G, so Jesus says, no, it's pretty cut and dry. The design is that you would not get a divorce with the exception of fornication. And then his disciples are going to be like, wow, it's, uh, so that's kind of a hard thing. 
Verse 10. His disciples say unto him, If the case of a man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. That's an interesting phrase, right? His disciples are like, okay, if it's that stringent, um, you might be better off to just not get married at all. And Jesus isn't going to disagree. And this is what's interesting. And I'm going to tell you what I think here in just a second. Verse 11. Or let's just read verse 10 again. So his disciples, they say unto him, If the case be of the man, be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there are some eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. I don't... So Jesus is not disagreeing. He's saying, and in many cases, for the kingdom of heaven, you're not wrong. That it would be better not to marry. The Apostle Paul is going to expand on this. We're going to look at that here in a second. But I want to be clear. I don't think what Jesus is saying here is that it's bad to marry. God created that institution. Obviously, it's necessary for the human race to continue, right? Um, and there's lots of proverbs about how great it is to find a virtuous woman. Uh, but it's all, there's also tons of proverbs about how, you know, having a nagging wife and all these things are awful. I think what Jesus is getting at here is that, and the Apostle Paul is going to expand on this, is that when it comes to serving the kingdom of God and that being your priority in life, it is easier to do that if you are not married. Here's why. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. Again, I want to be clear that Jesus and the scriptures are not saying marriage is a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing, an institution created by God. He even uses that imagery for his relationship with the church. We're talking about if I want to be a servant for the kingdom of God, and I want to do missions, and I want to do these things, it would be way easier if I wasn't married, right? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. So if you go to Corinthians chapter 7, it's a whole chapter about marriage, divorce, all that. I'm just going to read you the first nine verses because it goes along with what we're saying. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Now, concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Please note. We're going to read the next few verses here that expand on this, but the Apostle Paul is saying, it'd be good if you didn't need a woman. If you're going to serve the kingdom of God, but, or need a husband, you know, either way he, he says either one, right? He says, but because of desire, basically, it's better off that you get married rather than commit sexual immorality and commit sin in that department. So he says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, to avoid sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. You're better off being married than you are to commit that sin. Verse 3, 
let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud you not one another, except to except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. That's let's unpack that. So the next three verses, he's basically saying, do not withhold sexual intimacy from your spouse, unless. You guys come together in agreement and say, you know, for a week or two weeks or or whatever it is, we're going to abstain from that so we can focus on fasting and praying. He's saying, but as soon as that's over, you need to come together again. And here's why. That Satan tempts you not. So he's saying, do not. And this is a big problem. Again, I'm not a marriage counselor and we're not going to dig into all this. But it's a big problem within marriages. Uh, the intimacy aspect. And there's a billion reasons for it. Again, I'm not going to try to unpack that, but Paul is saying, if you withhold that from one another, he basically set each other up for failure, for moral failure. And then Satan's going to come in and tempt you, and it's going to be hard to not fall. Continuing on, verse 6, But I speak this by permission and not of a commandment. So he's making it clear. This is not a commandment. This is the Apostle Paul's opinion about this subject. Verse 7, For I would tell, for I would that all men even were as myself. So he's saying, I would prefer that men didn't get married like me. But... Every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. Verse 8, I say therefore to the unmarried widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And what he means by that is it's better to be married than to burn with desire and then fall into fornication. That's the Apostles Paul, Apostle Paul's opinion on marriage, but it goes a l- the, the point of that goes a little deeper. Um, let me see if I can find the verse here. Because what he's really talking about at the end of the day is that it's easier to serve the kingdom of God if you are not married rather than if you are. So same chapter, and I'm going to read this and then we'll be done with this subject. Same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you go down to verse 32, here's what he says. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belongeth to the Lord, and how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Do you see what he's getting at here? So as an example, I'm married. 
I have a child. I have a job. And I have all these commitments that I have to do because it's the godly right thing to do because a man who does not provide for his family according to the scriptures is worse than an unbeliever. The issue is that if I decided that I wanted to take some risk, maybe I wanted to go into the mission field, you know, insert whatever thing that maybe I want to do for the kingdom of God, I can't just decide that I'm going to take a risk and quit my job and go for it, can I? No, I got to to provide a house. I got to provide food, shelter, clothing, all the things that my family needs. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he's saying that a married person cares for the things of the world and how he may please his wife. Where an unmarried person, maybe some of you are unmarried, you can take you can take all kinds of risks, can't you? And you can say, I'm just going to go out on faith here. I'm going to trust God. I'm just going to take all kinds of risks and serve the kingdom of God. You don't have that looming responsibility, that cloud of responsibility. Again, it's not a negative thing. It's just a reality. If you're married, which is a good thing, institution created by God, you've got responsibility to your wife and to your kids and to your family. It limits kind of it limits you in what you can do as it pertains to the kingdom of God, if that makes sense. I hope that I unpacked that well. I feel like we spent way too much time on it. Uh, but there's my thoughts according to uh, what Jesus has just said here and First Corinthians. Let's move on. Let's get to the rich young ruler. Verse 13. Then they were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer the little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and departed thence. Verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do, that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. All right. Please note. I'm going to share with you what I think is going on here. Let's start with the first part. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So now Jesus is going to put him in a position to reveal truth. And so that's why Jesus is presenting some of these questions. First question is, why do you call me good? There's none one good but God. Now I think that now I personally believe that's a loaded question. I want you to think about when Jesus went to his disciples and he says, "Who do people say that I am?" And they say, well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're Elijah, yada, yada. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Mashiach. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. Right? I think that's similar to what Jesus is saying to this rich young ruler. I think what he's getting at is, why do you, rich young ruler, call me good? 
Like, what is it about me that you believe that you would call me good? Because there is no one good but God. You see what I'm saying? That's a loaded question. He doesn't get it. He goes on to say, what can I do to inherit eternal life? By the way, what is it that we can do to inherit eternal life? We cannot do it through our own merit, right? It's trusting in the one who is good and the mercy of Christ, right? But Jesus is going to play along. He says, okay, obey the commandments. Now, has anybody ever obeyed the commandments flawlessly? No, that's why we need a savior. Verse 18, he saith unto him, which? (laughs) So the rich young rulers, so Jesus says, obey the commandments. And the rich young rulers, okay, which ones? Jesus obliges. Here's what he says. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I lack? And Jesus said to him, If thou wilt be perfect, go, sell all that thou hast, and give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. So he gets to the crutch of it. You actually want eternal life? You have to follow me. And you have to give up the world to follow me. He's getting to the heart. Verse 22, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, here's really the, the, the big takeaway. And it, and it makes it more obvious when you see the Apostle Peter's response to this situation and Jesus' response to him. It's not that the rich young ruler had possessions. It's that those things had his heart more than following Jesus to the point where he was unwilling to give them up. What does Jesus say? You have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to die to yourself. Peter's going to say, we did do all that. We gave up everything to follow you. Verse 27, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? So Peter's taken this situation. He's like, unlike the rich young ruler, we've given up everything to follow you. What's the reward in that? Verse 28, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, you shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And everyone that is forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And that is how chapter 19 ends. Jesus is saying, when you give up the world for the sake of following me, it's not without its rewards. At the regeneration, hundredfold. You've given up relationships. You've given up possessions to follow me. That's costing you something severe in this life. But in the eternal kingdom that goes on forever and ever and ever, your reward is Number one, eternal life for following me. And number two, a hundredfold, whatever that might look like. There is a cost to following Christ in this world. A high cost. But the rewards are beyond your comprehension. And even if there wasn't any, it's eternal life with the creator of all things which is pretty amazing. And it's a free gift by simply trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We live in a world where everybody's doing everything they can to try to figure out how to live forever. Sacrificing children to figure out how to live forever. Implanting themselves with artificial intelligence trying to figure out how to live forever. That's all going to fail. There's a free gift of salvation, eternal life. Trust in the Lord Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary. Believe that he rose again from the dead three days later. Believe in his blood atonement. Trust in him rather than yourself. When you really grasp that truth, you can't wait to get rid of Whatever's keeping you from God. All right. I pray you've been blessed this morning. I feel that I may have rambled. I hope that I did some justice to the scriptures this morning. I pray that the words have went forth and pierced hearts and caused you to draw closer to God. May his grace and mercy be upon us all. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.